I'm going to be reading to you from Acts uh, this morning, start the second chapter, verse 42. And uh, we've been actually doing uh, on our Wednesday night Bible study, looking at the book of Acts is where we're at right now. On Wednesday nights, if you've never been to it, you ought to come. It's really my favorite service, most fun service of the week. It's our Wednesday night Bible study. We open it up. Uh, we go through a book of the Bible, verse by verse. It's called expository preaching. For those of you who like fancy words. But uh, verse by verse and really learn what is being said. Uh, oftentimes on Sunday morning, it's the way I preach is topical. I'll take a topic and jump around here and there and stuff. But uh, on Wednesday night, it's we just focus on what the Bible says and put it all in context. Great experience. You ought to come out on, on Wednesday nights. But we are doing the book of Acts and it's, it's really great. It's, it's great fun. It's a fabulous, fabulous book. Uh, talking about the history of the New Testament church. And I want to read from it this morning. It, uh, it says here that they, referring to the new believers. Now this is when Christianity was first starting. Brand new stuff. No one had ever experienced anything like this before. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They were dedicated to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. And had everything common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They went from house to house. They ate together. They were glad. They had sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then a little bit later in the book, he gives pretty much the same account again. He says, all the believers in Acts 4.32... All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. And there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Now it's... Difficult to read the history of the first century church, to read of their exploits, their miracles, the incredible power of God in their lives. And really, if you've, if you've never read the book Acts, again, you ought to come to the Wednesday night Bible studies because it is a scream. I mean, what these guys did was amazing stuff. I mean, we're talking serious Jedi master, kind of just wow, the stuff that would happen is just fascinating. And it, But it's, it's, it's hard not to think when you read that, okay, now wait a minute, how come... How come we don't see more of that kind of stuff today? Why don't we see more miracles? Now there are those from a theological perspective who try to reason away miracles. Who try to tell us that, uh, you know, well that was just for the apostles. That was just, well they were special because they were apostles. And blah, 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 blah. But we know that's not true because as we read even in the book of Acts, there were other people besides the apostles. Just regular guys who were doing these incredible things. And it's like, wow. Well, some say, well, it was only for the initial preaching of the gospel. You see, God had them do those miracles because it was the only way they could get people to believe them. Well, if that's the case, we need them now more than ever. Somebody say amen. amen. Well, so you got people who try to explain it away. And then there's others who are so zealous for miracles. Amen. <laughs> um Screaming babies. But uh, um, so so excited about miracles and so zealous for miracles that they, they really kind of overdo it. And they really kind of fake it. 
You know, I'm not trying to be mean, but you know, and I was raised in, in Pentecostal and charismatic churches, but some of them are just getting a little dee 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 dee. And they're just, they're doing stuff, and it's just, they're just doing stuff. A lot of activities, and you know, claiming because they did a lot of boogieing and shaking that that was the power of God. No, 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 the kind of miracles I'm talking about, I'm talking about legit life changing miracles, healing people, transforming, changing things kind of miracles. And that's the kind of stuff that I look at and go, man, how come we don't see more of that today? Now, I found it really interesting that when Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, described the power of God in the new church, that almost in the same breath, he writes of how intensely they loved each other and were committed to each other. So I began to wonder, what if the one affects the other? What if how intensely we love each other affects the degree of the power of God in our churches. And if that is indeed the case. Which I believe it is. Then there's little wonder. Why we don't see much power. In churches today. For while many of us love Jesus dearly. We're not so crazy about the guys sitting next to us. We tolerate each other. Or we will associate with each other. As long as we don't feel insulted. Or mistreated by anybody. In the minute someone makes me feel insulted. That guy insulted me. That person ignored me. Then we're quick to disconnect from each other. And have nothing to do with each other. When you read of the love the early Christians had for each other. It is that love that is really as amazing as the miracles that they did. I mean you read the miracles and you go wow. Ho chi mama. That's like wow. But then when you read how they so were committed to each other. They were so identified with each other. If anybody needed anything, if a guy had something extra, he would sell it and bring it and meet the needs of those who were hurting in the church. That is wow. Now Jesus said actually that it would be this kind of love for each other that would mark people as true believers. Uh, Not just the miracles that they performed. He didn't say, when you do miracles, that's how people will know you're my disciples. In fact, at one point, Jesus actually went out of his way to say, you know, someday on Judgment Day, there will be people who will stand before God, who will say, but wait a minute, I did great miracles in your name. And they won't even get into heaven. Fascinating. That's a whole other study. But that's not what earns your way into the kingdom of God. Love. On the other hand, that's what he said would mark you. Jesus said in John the 13th chapter, Gospel of John, verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love each other. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. The Bible says that they shared with each other in order to eliminate needs. You know, uh, someone suggested this to me a, a few weeks ago as I've been talking about some of this stuff. And, uh, and uh, I thought, you know, this is a great idea. And, and uh, working with my, hopefully, I don't know how long it takes us to get it done because it takes us forever to get anything done around here. Which is my cross to bear. But uh, <laughs> I say do it. You think everybody would jump and do it. They just they kind of look at me like but what I, one of the things I would love to do in this church is I would like to, on our website, create a special website for members, people who are committed to this church. Or you could go on and you could see needs listed. 
And where people could go on and see those needs and respond to those needs. All right, there might be someone having a hard time making ends meet and all of a sudden their lawnmower breaks. Somebody else will look and say, I bet you if we counted all the extra lawnmowers in this place, we would be shocked, you know. And you could just go on and say, I'll give you my lawnmower. My dishwasher's busted. We're having a hard time. Man, I got an extra dishwasher in the garage because we replaced the old one. I never did anything with it, you know. That kind of thinking. You know, some single mom. It wouldn't surprise me right now if there isn't some single mom in this church who is just overwhelmed because she has a $135 electrical bill that she cannot pay. And to her, it's, it's overwhelming to her. And I think, boy, if I just knew that, I mean, to me, 135 I could give somebody 130 It wouldn't kill me. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of times we don't know these needs. And, and, and we don't have a way that we can share these kind of needs. And there's, there's ways for that we can do this. We can stay anonymous and just help and bless and encourage one another. And I tell you, that's the kind of stuff that causes people to go, whoa. Whoa. Now that's different. You see, people are less concerned about what you think than in how you love. It's when we really love each other. That's what's going to make this church seem like, oh, gee, mama, look at those guys. I want to be identified with those kinds of people. What you think doctrinally isn't quite as important. You know, you know. what do you think about baptism? You know, yeah. Do you dump them in water? Do you spray them with a hose? Do you, <laughs> do you sprinkle them? Don't they just get saved in spots if you do that? You know, what do, what do you really think of all that? What do you think? I don't care what you think. What are your fine points of doctrine? That doesn't make us stand out. That doesn't make us unique. What will make this church the kind of church that God can bless and where the power of God can move is when we truly start caring for each other and start loving each other. Until we get that up and going, and hopefully that won't take forever. But uh, In the meanwhile, there's other ways that you can express your love. For each other. You know, we have these, uh, it says the blue book. (laughs) Why is it called the blue book? It is green. But our green blue book is. is out in the foyer there and uh <laughs> now I'm distracted but uh and, and and it's a list of areas in the church where you can get involved and help and volunteer you know just don't say you know yeah I really love this church do you really love this church then what are you doing are you doing anything so well I don't know what I can do get the blue book and you can see opportunities. Contact the church. There's, there's all kinds of different areas, different skills that are needed. I mean, it's to the most simple thing of just being an usher at communion, handing a tray from one aisle to another. How hard can that possibly be? You know, ways that you can get involved. This is love. Doing things. Love isn't saying, I love you. Love is saying, I will be there for you. I will help you. 
I will assist you, even if you irritate the snot out of me. <laughs> See, love isn't about warm and fuzzy feelings. Goodness gracious. If you think that's what love, and, and really, we live in a culture today that's what they think love is. A lot of people in marriages, the warm and fuzzies aren't there. And they think, well, I'm just not in love anymore. You know, man, if you're basing your commitments based on your feelings, you're, you'll never survive in life. Love is in spite of the way I feel, I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to love. I'm going to care. I'm going to get involved. Do you love people? Are you loving people like God wants you to love them? Get involved. Find a place to show your love. Sadly, the kind of love we have in most churches today is built largely on the condition that I will love you as long as you do not tick me off. I will love you as long as you do not irritate me or make me angry. The minute we feel feel insulted in any significant way, we will remove ourselves from the very ones we claim to have loved five minutes earlier. When we do that, I dare say we didn't really love at all. We're very quick to claim offense as Christians. I'm offended. Oh, I'm offended. I was offended at that church. I was offended by that pastor. I, I can't believe what you said. That really offended me. So the point where, and Christians are so afraid, pastors are so afraid, Christian leaders are so afraid every time somebody says offend, because the Bible says, woe to those who bring offense. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. The kind of offense he was talking about is when you do something that makes people fall away from God. Woe to people who do that. But he wasn't talking about the kind of thing that just got people upset. For crying out stinking loud. That's why so many churches never talk about anything. They never challenge anything about anybody about anything. Why? They're afraid of offending our country. As I travel around the country and I talk in these churches and stuff, and one of the things I, I get on people is when I start talking about sex, it just freaks the willies out of them. <laughs> You'd think we all came from eggs or something around here, you know, and hatched. <laughs> you can't say that. I don't offend somebody. <laughs> Everywhere I've gone in the last year, I've been saying, we ought to have a new rule in the body of Christ. Every time somebody says they're offended, we should reach out and slap them. (laughs) Not hard. You don't want to leave a mark. (laughs) Plausible deniability later. And if that offends them, then slap them again. Just keep slapping them until they stop. Stop offended. Look at Psalm 119. Verse 165. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. Now you're ready for Bible trivia. If you're ever on Jeopardy and you have that category. Psalm 119. Eh, What's the longest chapter in the Bible? But this is it. 165. And it says this. Great peace have they which love thy law. And nothing can make them stumble. Or the King James says nothing shall offend them. It's the same concept. If you really love God's law, if you really commit it to God's word, at some point you grow to the point where things stop offending you, where things stop causing you to stumble. And I'm offended by that. Sadly, our churches are full of people who just, if you don't approach them just the right way, if you don't shake their hand just right, if you don't look at them right, they become offended. Much less if you actually have a flat-out disagreement. And you get in each other's face. And we panic and freak. I think our churches need to be more like a family. I want this church to be like a family. Now I don't know what your family was like when you grew up. But let me tell you about my family. We 
tormented each other. <laughs> Anybody coming from a family like that? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> we beat each other up. We hollered at each other. We tor- My brother Eddie, of course, he was the easiest target in the family. <laughs> He was such a dork. (laughs) Oh, man. That boy. You would think he'd learn after a while. I think he was born with a sign that says, kick me. Eddie'd be walking around the house. He'd be walking around his underwear. And we'd come to the front door and open the door and say, hey, Eddie, come look at this. And he'd come look. And we'd push him out and shut the door and lock the door. You know. wasn't the first time. That's the sad part. You, th- you think you'd get a clue. He's out there running around. Ah! Try- trying to get back in. You say, that was mean. Yeah. yeah it, was- it was hilarious. It was great. We could challenge each other. We could criticize each other. We could pick on each other. But boy, don't you pick on my brothers. That's a whole different ball game. You know, I've never been in a fight. Uh, never been punched in my life in an, in, in an angry situation. One, one of the reasons, because I was one of the fastest guys in our school. <laughs> when the heat came on, like a, like a mosquito, man. Where, where did he go? But the only time I ever remember punching somebody was uh, a guy who was beating up on my brother Eddie. And we were on a, on a porch. God, can you imagine 53 years of age? It still freaks me out just thinking about it. But we were on a porch, and we had, you know, uh, the, the rail of the porch and stuff like that. And I come up there, and this guy's pounding on Eddie. And I just went, cycle. And this guy is like twice my size. And I come running at him going, Rah! and I think I freaked him out because I was pretty freaked out. You know, I just, <laughs> and I slugged him and I pushed him and hit the rail and he went flying over the rail and splat on the ground. And I thought, now is a good time to run. <laughs> so, so I grabbed Eddie and we ran out of there. We didn't divorce the family because you yelled at each other. We didn't leave the family because of some wacko. Doesn't most of you have some one guy in the family that's like nuts? You know, we all got, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you're the one. (laughs) That would be me, Pastor. (laughs) You know, but you're still, you're still part of the family. So you argue, so you don't agree, so what? Look, if you're going to be around people, at some point you're going to get your feelings hurt. You'll get your feelings hurt. Sometimes you have disagreement about the way things should be done around here. Quite frankly, one of the greatest offenders around here is me, your pastor. I have been known to cause people to become very angry at me. Actually, I have a list. So why is that? Because I'm who, my, who I am. I am an, a passionate, intense guy. And I'm like this all the time. I remember when I first came to this church, somebody called uh, the office to complain about the new pastor. 
they call my office. (laughs) Why would you call my office to complain about the new pastor? And they left a message on the answering machine and said, we can't have this new pastor. He's up there acting like a clown. We can't have him up there acting like a clown. I got up the next Sunday and I said, look, I'm not acting. (laughs) I'm not acting. This is the way I am. So why don't you behave yourself more? Because I don't want to. Besides, I'm totally grossed out by that. You know, as a young Christian, I remember meeting pastors who would be one way in private, but then a total different way in public. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Quite frankly, that describes a whole lot of people. And God bless them if they want to be that way. But I remember as a young man thinking, I will never be that way. I refuse to be that way. When I talk about one of the things in this church is about being real, I try to live this out with you. I don't get up trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. I try to take the edge off a little. but (laughs) The very energy and passion that makes me an effective public speaker makes me a real drag (laughs) one-on-one. You know, people say, Pastor, I just love the way that you're animated when you preach. I said, this is the way I am all the time. And it's not so much fun one-on-one. It's really not. I mean, in a crowd like this, you have thousands of people listening to you and you say, you're an idiot. You all laugh. Because you're convinced I'm talking about the guy next to you. (laughs) Hard to make that disconnect if you're the only one in the audience. Say, do you really do that? (laughs) Yeah, I I do. I know I shouldn't, but I can't help myself. I'm just who I am. (laughs) I had one brother after the first service this morning comes up to me and says, Ash, that's right, you did that to me. I said, really? See, I came in and I was telling you all the stupid things I was struggling with and you were on the floor laughing. I don't remember this at all. I says, really? He says, yeah. I said, what was I saying? He said, you were laughing. saying, you're an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's still here and he still loves me, you know. I'm sure he probably was an idiot. But anyway, um, listen, when you call the church and you want to see the pastor, and some of you, I know, yeah, I want to talk to the pastor, and they kind of scoot you away, trust me, they're not protecting me from you. They're protecting you from me. Do you really think I'm a hoity-toity guy? Do you really think I walk around there, oh, I'm too good to meet with the people in the church? I'll talk to anybody. Just hang on to your hat though, man. If you call and you're hurt and say, I want to see Pastor Mark, everybody in the church is going, no, I'll tell you what, I got somebody here that you really ought to talk to. <laughs> you know, Pastor Gary, he's a compassionate guy. Lathan, he's a great guy. Mary, you know, they really, they'll feel your pain. Pastor Mark will probably start giggling and fall on the floor. Yell, you're an idiot, you know, just. But it works. 
you know, to a whole bunch of people, it's great. We're not all the same. We don't all have to be the same. Quite frankly, some of the most peaceful people out, out there, some of you out there who just would never, ever get upset with anybody about anything, probably wouldn't make a fabulous or even an interesting public speaker. We get you up here in 20 minutes, everybody will slip into a coma. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah, and we can encourage you to perk it up, but you probably just go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you can encourage me to calm down. I'll just won't do this quite this loud. I'll just do it. <laughs> I know a lot of you do not believe me. I just know it. You look at me, you think I'm kidding around. I'm not kidding around. I frequently beat my head on the table, literally, when I'm talking to people. <laughs> but, even if I do that to you, even if someone else does that to you, even if someone else ignores you, or makes you mad, or stuff like that, surely, 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 Real love can handle that. You don't just quit the family because dad is a jerk. You don't just quit the family because your brother was mean to you. Surely you don't quit the family and disassociate yourself because of some harm done. We will likely never experience the true miraculous power of God if all it takes is a single intense disagreement to release a spirit of divorce between us. And that's what we have. It's the very thing a lot of couples struggle with. When things are falling in. First word they reach for is the D word. Divorce. I'll divorce you. Let's get a divorce. By the way. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say it. Don't ever allow yourself to say the word. It's virtually impossible to get a divorce. If you never say the word. My wife and I never said the word. We learned that as early as, as, as early Christians. We never said, in our home, never said the word. In fact, it wasn't until I started dealing with couples about 10 years ago where I actually had to say the word in the home discussing it. It felt like I was cursing. When, when you've gone 30 years without saying a word, you start saying, we don't say it, but we're quick to say those words. I'll get ready. Someone comes to you and says, I'm miserable. I just divorced the bum. You know, that, that's our mentality today. Not only just in our marriages, but in our personal relationships. Ah, just quit going to that church. Well, Pastor, does that mean you can never leave a church? No, of course not. If you're part of a church that no longer shares the same core values you have, then you'll probably have to leave. I was talking to a couple, couple of couples the other night who went through that to come here. And they said, Pastor, it was really hard for us. And I looked at them and I said, it's supposed to be hard. It should be really hard. It should really hurt. Because if we love people, that would hurt to do that. If the church has become spiritually cold that you're part of and, and, and you feel like you're dying spiritually, you might need to leave that church. And it will hurt. But it's supposed to hurt. If you have substan- substantial differences uh, with your church that you can't overcome, sometimes you have to move on then. I say, Pastor, do you ever separate yourself from anybody? Sure. Sometimes there's just such strong disagreement on stuff, you you just can't work together. We read about in Acts, the 15th chapter, verse 36, even Paul, the apostle, these great spiritual men, 
had problems. Some time later, Paul said to Barnabas, Hey, Barnabas, let's go back, visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now, we don't know. From Paul's perspective, he had deserted us. You know, from Barnabas, he probably thought, you know, the dude wanted to go visit his mom. You know, I wasn't deserting. But they just saw things completely different. The Bible says they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. From that time on, you no longer read about Paul and Barnabas. You read about Paul and Silas. Did they hate each other? No. Were they unforgiving? How could you be a believer and hate somebody and unforgiving? Paul talked about, man, you need to forgive people. I highly doubt that he hated Barnabas and telling the rest of us all to forgive each other. It's not about hate. Sometimes a situation arises where you just can't do it. You know, we had a situation in our church. Uh, This happens from time to time. There's one one lady in our church who uh, involved in an area of, of the church that she just totally disagreed with. So she pulled out of it. Wasn't going to have anything to do with it anymore. Because she just couldn't agree. Of course, I, I was told that she pulled out and she's going to leave the church and stuff. So I'm talking to her and said, you know, why did you leave? So, well, I can't agree with her. She thinks that and I think this. And I'm, just, I'm just not going to put up with it anymore. I said, so why are you leaving the church? And she said, I ain't leaving the church. I said, you're not? She said, no. I said, cool. <laughs> I don't care. So you can't agree with them. So what? Are we that weak? You know, if, if these guys over here are so offensive, you got to sit way over there. So what? But you can still love each other. You can still pray for each other. You can still help each other with their needs. We don't have to think the same. We don't have to be the same. This is not about homogenized Christianity. Sometimes if someone poses a threat to the church, you have to distance yourself from them. Check this out. Titus. Paul writing to Titus, the third chapter. He says, warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. You get two shots at this. That's what he says. Two shots. After that, have nothing. Everybody say nothing. Have nothing to do with him. Ouch. Paul, it's a little little tough. Why would you do that? Because he's a divisive person. He's trying to split the church. He's trying to hurt people. Trying to tear at the work of God. In Romans... He says something like this, Romans 16, 17. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out. Watch out for those who cause divisions. Now, keep in mind, these are other believers. Sometimes they actually have to watch out for other believers. How sad is that? Watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. There are people in my life that I keep away from. There are some people... Uh, even uh, involved since we started this church, who we don't have anything to do with. Why is that? Because they have been divisive. They have been destructive. They have tried to hurt the church. They've tried to get groups of people around them and literally tried to divide the church and split the church. And we finally, after way more than two, decided we're not going to have anything to do with them anymore. It's just that simple. Of course, then they criticize you because... They won't have anything to do with us. That's right. Why? We don't hate you. We're not bitter. We're not unforgiving. There's not this big rift in the time-space continuum. How can you move on if you don't? Because the Bible says, if someone is divisive and won't stop it, you just stop dealing with them. 
It's not about hate. So there are those kinds of things that do arise where it might cause some situation. But, aside from that, we should be able to handle a great deal of differences and disagreements and wrestling over things as we walk along in the kingdom of God. And if we truly love each other, like these guys loved each other, that I believe is when we will start experiencing the kind of miracles and the power of God that they experienced because they lived this at the most personal and sincere level. I'm going to ask our ushers to come uh, to get ready to serve us communion this morning and our musicians to come back. It says, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles and all the believers were together and had everything in common. Let's become the kind of church where we truly love each other. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Well, what does that mean? How did Jesus love you? You know, Jesus loved you when you were the most offensive to him. Jesus loved you when you were the most rude to him. Jesus loved some of you when you, in anger, stared at the heavens and cursed his name and told him you hated him. He still loved you. Loved you in spite of your struggles. In spite of you doing things that you know absolutely were wrong to do and you did them anyway. He still loved you. He says to us, love each other. Like I love you. One of the great things about our our church, our our campus in Stevens Point, um, and if you ever get a chance to go over there, you know, if you're vacationing at all in the summer in central Wisconsin, you ought to stop by on a Sunday morning and check them out. It's a fabulous church. It is great to see those guys. But the one thing about, I got to tell you one thing, they're not the biggest church, they're about 300 people or so. They're growing, they're packed out now. They got problems over there like we do here, but. But the one thing you can't help but notice when you're with them is how much they love each other. Now granted, it's easier in a smaller group. But, I don't know. The Bible says there are times five, six, seven thousand of these guys together. Look how they loved each other. But they just love each other over there. So in that church, that group of people could withstand almost anything. We need to become like that. We need to become a church that's really... And you know what? We're not there yet. It's okay to admit it. So we're not perfect. Whoop-de-stinkin'-do. But at least let's not play games. Let's not pretend. Let's not think we're something that we're not. We got a long way to go. All I'm saying is let's go. Let's grow. Baby steps. We can get there. We can get there. I know there's a lot of people. The only reason you're here is because you like the music. And if you didn't like the music, quite frankly, you wouldn't be here. I get it. That's okay. Some of you, the only reason you're here is because you like me. Fabulous choice, by the way. (laughs) But some of you, if you know I'm not here, you won't even come to church. You know, I don't hate you. It's okay, but... Wow, wouldn't it be great that you still come even if Marky Poo isn't here? Wouldn't it be great if we start growing and it doesn't matter how the music is today. And it doesn't matter who's at the pulpit today. And it doesn't matter, whatever, fill in the blank. 
But you go, you know what? I love this place. And I love this pe- these people. And this is my family. And this is my home. And this is where we can share with each other. And this is if I'm hurting, I can help get healed. Wow. See, that's why Jesus died on the cross. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. So that we could have forgiveness of sins. So that we could be part of the body of Christ. Individual members. We're not all the same. We're not all toenails. We're not eyeballs. We're not all hands. It takes lots of parts to make up a body. Some parts don't have anything to do with each other. Some parts you can never see. Thankfully. But we're all still part of the body. And we need each other. And when we partake in the body of Christ, what we're identifying is with Him, that we too are now part of the body of Christ. I'd like us all to bow our heads in a word of prayer this morning. If you're here this morning and you've never taken that first step of faith to ask Christ into your life, if you're willing to turn away from the wrong in your life, if you're willing to put your faith in Jesus, you can begin your life of faith this morning. You too can become a part of the body of Christ. A part of this wonderful, eternal story of redemption. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. That you love me so much. You went to the cross and took my punishment. I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.